made his vision go gray and the room spin. Holding on to the ladder he should have used to climb down, he took a moment to reorient himself. He felt Mikkel's hands on his arms, steadying him, but he couldn't see more than a shadowy silhouette of the man. The second officer was professional and occasionally cordial, but they weren't best friends. Noah imagined his concern came from not wanting to have to do the paperwork associated with a shipboard death. You all right? I'm fine, Noah said. He stood up straight, holding up his hands to show he was steady on his feet. Mikkel let go and stepped back. I've been hit harder, but you don't want to hear about my love life. Noah winked. Mikkel didn't laugh. Although Noah's wife, Abby, had always told him how funny he was, he knew he wasn't. Still, it didn't stop him from trying. Maybe I ought to, he thought, looking at Mikkel's flat expression. Well, Superman, you should get some rest. Let yourself get over the bump and the shit you breathed in putting out that fire. Good job, by the way. Thanks. How bad was it? Mickle shrugged. Not my specialty. Martin is looking at it. You'd have to ask him. He turned to leave and hesitated in the doorway. Martin Nevins was the ship's engineer and mechanic. He had a dark sense of humor no one on board seemed to fully appreciate. He was one of Noah's few allies. Or at least he had been before Noah filled one of the racks with flame-retardant powder. I'll drop in on him when I head for my cabin. I wouldn't. He's not happy. Anyway, Brewster reassigned you. You're on C-deck now. D-deck smells like a refinery took a shit, and he doesn't want anyone sleeping down there. It's a good thing for you he did. He probably smoked the equivalent of ten packs of unfiltereds in the time you spent in that room. You inhale any more, and you'll wish you'd chosen coal mining as a career instead of merchant shipping. Noah smiled weakly at the medical officer. This wasn't the career he'd chosen. It was what inertia chose for him. His father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were all Gloucester fishermen, and he'd practically been raised on board deep-sea trawling boats. As soon as he was old enough, he went out with his old man and the old man's old man to work. While other kids were playing baseball and studying for the SATs and going down to Boston for a good time, he was out at sea. But cutbacks and catch restrictions put a hurt on his family's livelihood. Never rich enough to afford more than a couple of small day boats, his father retooled the family business after federal regulators effectively banned cod fishing in the Gulf of Maine. His father refurbished and refitted the boats to take the summer people out for 12-hour deep-sea fishing adventures. He would smile, his weathered face wrinkling like a man twenty years his senior, and go on for the tourists about how there had been cabots fishing these waters, for as long as these waters had cabots sailing on them. A bumper sticker was his only admission about how much he hated playing charter tour guide for out-of-towners, looking to turn his hard work into recreation. On the rear of his pickup truck, a red rectangle read, Give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. 
teach a man to fish, he'll starve. You used to be able to walk across the harbor, Noah, his dad had told him. It's true. There used to be so many boats, you wouldn't get your feet wet going from one end to another. Not now, he said, pointing to another new harbor hotel built where an auction house or a packaging plant used to be. Noah had looked at the three or four boats they left behind as they motored out on an evening harbor cruise. His old man had kept a straight back and square shoulders, but the slouch was in his voice. The defeat of losing the only thing he'd ever known and having to start over, of having nothing to give his only son. Noah had been a good, if often absent, student. He didn't have to...